players that sort of have cross investments in each other or in each other's sub assets. And so that's already made the environment somewhat anti-competitive for Mm -hmm. truly small players. So in some ways, this could potentially actually open the market up. But I I think it's going to be a year or two before we really know how policy shakes out and, Mm -hmm. and what this actually means for smaller entrepreneurs. Ben, thanks very much. Great to talk to you. That's Ben Cavender, principal at the China Market Research Group in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, and in the markets, the SX200 right now up half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.4%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea up 0.4%, and futures markets also indicating a small rise of about 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil at $76.02 a barrel, and gold is slipping now here in Asian trading. It's down to $1,785 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Coming up very shortly, then half-hour news, followed by back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, isolated showers, mainly fine, very hot during the day. Maximum temperature is about 33 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force. More showers tomorrow and on Wednesday, and the weather improving gradually in the latter part of this week. It's 28 degrees right now, 89% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The government's latest pandemic handout has proven popular with more than one and a half million people signing up for $5,000 worth of electronic consumption vouchers when it opened yesterday. The government has said it hopes the scheme is expected to cost around $36 billion and benefit about 7.2 million people can boost local spending. Priscilla Ng reports. Authorities announced last month that the first e-vouchers for adult residents would be handed out in installments from August the 1st. Four electronic payments providers have been designated to dole out the vouchers, including Octopus Hong Kong, Alipay Hong Kong, Tap and Go and WeChat Pay Hong Kong. Liberal Party leader Felix Chung said he's surprised to see so many people rushing to sign up for the scheme, saying it's probably because the four electronic payment providers had offered incentives such as rewards and lucky draws to attract people to register early. It's been confirmed that the demolition of a tower block that partially collapsed near the U.S. city of Miami over a week ago will go ahead shortly. The announcement was made by the mayor of Miami-Dade, Daniela Levine-Carver. The demolition will take place tonight between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. The method of demolition is known as energetic felling. It's a process that uses small, strategically placed explosives and relies on gravity to bring the building down in place. The demolition itself is confined to the immediate area around the building. More than 120 people are still unaccounted for. 24 others are known to have died. Investigators in the United States say they're still assessing the scale of a huge cyber attack that affected hundreds of businesses. Hackers targeted a firm that provides IT services to many other companies on Friday. The White House has urged anyone who thinks their systems have been compromised to contact the authorities. The Suez Canal Authority and the owners of a huge container ship that blocked the Egyptian waterway earlier this year have reached a deal to release the vessel. After three months of wrangling over compensation, the two sides say the ship will be allowed to set off on Wednesday. Here's the BBC's Alan Johnston. The huge ship called the Ever Given was freed from the bank of the canal more than three months ago. 
but she has been detained by the Egyptian authorities during protracted wrangling over a compensation claim. The details of the deal that's now been struck haven't been revealed, but it was reported that the Egyptians were demanding $550 million. The ship became the focus of world attention after she ran aground in high winds and then swung out across the canal. The normally very busy channel was blocked for six days. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. More COVID-19 updates today and e-vouchers. Health authorities have reported three new infections yesterday, all of which involve people flying in from the UK, although there's been a ban on flights arriving from there since July the 1st, citing a rebound in coronavirus cases and the spread of the mutated variants there. Meanwhile, the outbreak here has continued to stabilise. Officials reporting only one untraceable local case and two import related infections over the past two weeks. For the untraceable case, which involves a cleaner of a quarantine hotel, authorities collected some environmental samples from the facility, two of which tested positive. Experts have earlier criticised the way the hotel room, which was previously occupied by an infected Indonesian woman, had been disinfected, saying the cleaning time had been too short and the wrong disinfectants had been used. Meanwhile, places like Australia and Taiwan, which had relatively fewer infections, are now recording a surge in Delta, Delta variant cases. Why? What's going on there? What lessons can we here in Hong Kong learn? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and comments. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and the number is 233-88266, 233-88266, 9.15. David Webb joining us to talk about uh, the e-vouchers as the government consumption voucher scheme uh, began registration uh, yesterday. Joining us for our first discussion, we have with us uh, once again Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Joining us on the line from Australia, Professor Mary Lewis. Louise McLaws, epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales and advisor to the World Health Organization, and Dr. Mike Kwan Yatwa, who's a consultant and paediatric infectious diseases unit at the Princess Margaret Hospital. And also we'll be hearing from uh, a correspondent in Taiwan, Ross Feingold, after the news at nine. Once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Mike. Yes. Ben, good morning, and and well, thanks once again. I mean, you're re- getting a real regular now. You probably have your own show soon. I'm getting a little bit worried by the take-up rate of vaccination. We seem to have reached a plateau and then gone down slightly. What's yeah. going on? Right now, I think the prediction is maybe we'll hit 50% in September, 50% of people with at least one dose and then ultimately fully vaccinated. But we know that's not enough. We know that if Hong Kong wants to go back to normal, stop the quarantines, stop the intermittent use of social distancing, we need a higher vaccine coverage. Otherwise, we'll be in trouble if COVID comes in and starts spreading. We've seen other parts of the world where COVID spread even in recent months and caused a lot of trouble, a lot of sick people, a lot of health impacts. So we can't let that happen. We need to get the vaccine coverage up so that we're then safe to reopen. Right. But I've seen the numbers of getting now for a long time or for a while, the number getting the first dose was greater than the number getting the second dose, which meant that the pipeline was growing thicker um, and we're going to get more numbers. But recently, last few days, it's been the other way around. 
Yeah, I think we've been looking for coverage to accelerate and we haven't really seen that. There's been a few bumps whenever there's a new initiative like the lottery for the apartment uh, and the other private sector initiatives that's led to a bump in vaccine uptake. And we had a record number of people vaccinated quite recently, I think 60,000, even more than that, maybe. But uh, a lot of that was second doses. There aren't so many people still coming in for their first doses. And then later on, we'll also have their second dose. So I don't know if the high vaccine rate will will continue. It may have just been a blip again. Well, the mainland's heading for 70% this calendar year. It doesn't look as though we're going to do it. No, I think they're, they're going to beat us to 70%. Uh, whether they'll think that's enough for them to safely open, I'm not sure. Um, maybe. I, I think for, for places now, especially because of the Delta variant, we're looking at as high vaccine coverage as possible. And in the UK, I know there's a lot of debate because they're talking about uh, reopening and relaxing on July the 19th, at which point they'll have maybe 55% fully vaccinated, 75% with at least one dose. And they're also nervous because they, they, they'd like it to be even higher. But at the same time, they don't want to wait uh, indefinitely. They, they've got to set a time to, to, to start but, reopening. But this delay getting there, it opens the door to more muta- mutations. If us, we're vulnerable. We've seen the opportunities for, for the Delta variant and COVID to come in in the last few months. Very recently, last week, there was another opportunity for the virus to get into the community. The virus isn't going away. It's still going to po- pose a threat to us. And the, the sooner we can get to that high vaccine coverage, the safer we'll be and the sooner that we can go back to normal. What do we need to do to jack up the vaccination rate? I'm still hoping that the government is going to consider some initiatives to support vaccination uptake. There's a lot of choices on the table, relaxing policies for vaccinated people. Uh, people have talked about financial incentives as well. We've seen the majority of the push coming from the private sector in the last month or two. And I think that the government could also contribute. Okay, also with us, as I say, is uh, Professor uh, Mary Louise McLaws, an epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales. Uh, good morning to you. Many, many thanks for, for, for joining us. Uh, we wanted to talk to you for a kind of an update and an overview of what's, what's happening in Australia. I've got to say, you're getting kind of a contradictory uh, reports on uh, what actually is happening. Um, uh, the Australia will, will halve uh, the number of arrivals uh, from uh, overseas, I think the Prime Minister said uh, at the end of last week. At the same time, there seem to be uh, plans to uh, move beyond the uh, uh, closed borders uh, and so on and to kind of uh, learn to live uh, with uh, COVID. What what was the situation like now and what's the situation like looking forward? Good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, Hong Kong is one of my favourite countries. Um, Well, we we have a bit of a problem because by reducing the number of return Australians and residents, it really uh, doesn't sit well with the locals, and, and it shouldn't, uh, quite frankly. Our quarantine uh, hotel system ha- should have always been a very small um, period of time uh, while they made a, a special quarantine uh, facility because, um, as Ben would know very well, um, that you know airflow change is woefully low uh, in quarantine hotels, and uh, they're being used as a proxy hospital waiting for return travellers uh, to, of course, uh, sadly, some of them become infected and thereby infecting other travellers because they've been coming home um, unvaccinated. Um, and so uh, one of the methods that the government has identified is to basically uh, stop uh, stranded Australians from coming home by 50% 
they've already waited many years and some of them may actually be running out of savings and may become homeless. It's that serious. What they really do need to do is send vaccine uh, to all of the Australians that are desperate to come home um, and start vaccinating them, preferably with a vaccine that uh, only has 21 days between the two doses. And even if they only get one dose, uh, well, from where they're departing and then their second dose during quarantine, that would severely reduce our risk of escape because since we've had um, this quarantine system on the 20th of March 2020, every single case that's been in the country, and it's, I've calculated it to be just over 21,000 cases, has been due uh, directly from... A, an initial leak or breach in the quarantine system. Uh, so um, this is a knee-jerk reaction uh, to keep people from coming home, to then keep the population safe, because at the moment uh, we've only been able to deliver about 7.6 million um, doses uh, on an average of about 110 injections per day. And at that rate, uh, we'll take at least another 34 weeks to get to at least 85%, right. mm -hmm, 85% of that 75% of adults over 17. Which is a long time. Vaccinating 16 year olds. Exactly. So um, they really do need to start thinking many, much more um, innovatively. You know, we've lost that ability to be innovative. Um, you know, we, we've now got a hub finally uh, in a couple of the two uh, big cities. But things like local government, um, you know, they could second a, a town hall uh, so that people living in the local district uh, could get vaccinated, particularly the 20 to 39-year-olds who have been neglected. I mean, if you have a look at the WHO COVAX facility framework, it's very, very compassionate, and it was based on the idea of circulating virus. Well, we only get circulating virus when we have a breach. And those that are more likely to die, of course, are the 70 and overs. They've um, mostly now got at least one dose or two doses. Uh, they're not always fully um, protected. But the group epidemiologically that are acquiring COVID and therefore transmitting it are the 20 to 39-year-olds. Right. But they can't get uh, vaccine for love or money. But the, the main point of a message I'm getting here, or one of the main messages here, is when people want to come back home, they should be vaccinated. Um, so, and if you can't, if they can't get vaccinated where they are, send the vaccine to them, and then let them well, have the second dose at, 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 at when when they arrive. Well, that's one way of doing it. I mean, not everybody can be vaccinated for medical reasons. Right. And also, we, we, we are a highly multicultural community, and, and some of the vaccines may be made up of materials where they don't feel uh, religiously or culturally comfortable with. So you've got to give them a choice. And if they can't get vaccinated, then we need to take them somewhere very safe so that if they are positive, um, they don't pose a risk. We aren't using rapid antigen tests now. They're not supposed to be used uh, wherever possible as diagnostic tests, but they would make great screening tests so that you could quickly identify what you're dealing with. Are you dealing with somebody who's infected or not infected? And then if they are positive, follow that up with a, uh, an, a PCR test, which has uh, got uh, supposedly better performance um, but, you know, a rapid antigen test 
particularly for people who are asymptomatic, perform very well in the first five to seven days, as do the PCR tests, but they only take 15 minutes. Get to know what you're dealing with. Instant they hop on that plane and instant they get off that plane. And the proper thing then, they need a proper facility to hold them on arrival. That's right. We've had um, a a group, uh, and it was uh, run by uh, an HWHO um, uh, expert called Dr Ian Norton, and he's done an amazing job at keeping Howard Springs from having any leaks at all into the community. And uh, he, of course, introduced uh, for uh, the last eight months rapid antigen tests of all the staff um, before um, vaccines were rolled out. And because they knew that what they were dealing with at um, at the end of every shift, it was unlikely to have a breach into the general community. And we've only really for the last few months been um, testing staff with uh, a, P- a saliva PCR test, which doesn't have the best um, uh, record for, for rapidness. It takes four to six hours, so you're going to have to have it done at the beginning of the shift, which means you're always working uh, with knowledge that's not real time. Uh, and, of course, it does have false negatives, uh, like all PCRs do. So um, we are, we've had... Uh, breaches. Our, le- our last one was in a, a driver who picked up a, a group of um, uh, pilots and, and crew from a, um, a freight aeroplane. He then uh, didn't get tested uh, for a while uh, because something was wrong with the system. And it's usually a system breakdown. And when you plan for outbreaks, you've got to be pessimistic and put up multiple barriers so that if if one person's behaviour or the system fails at one level, it gets caught in the next layer. And there was no layering to make sure this driver got enough testing. Mm. He also didn't get vaccinated, for I don't know why. Um, and so sadly, that one man has caused inadvertently uh, over 270 cases in New South Wales and some cases in other states and territories. And, you know, this is Delta. And as you know, Delta is uh, twice as infectious as Alpha was, and Alpha was uh, problematic as well. So uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, they, the authorities talk about the number of cases each day. Uh, at the moment, it's in double digits, but the most important variable is how many of them were in isolation or how many were not and were wandering around the community. And it has spread from the eastern suburbs out to the western suburbs, which is densely populated, uh, and a couple of schools and, of course, um, sadly, residential aged care where they, as I've mentioned, most of them have been vaccinated. But given that they're elderly, their immune system may not protect them well enough. So watch this space. It's, we're on a knife edge. Okay. Also with us to say is Dr. Mike Kwanyatwa, who's a consultant with a paediatric infectious disease unit at Princess Margaret Hospital. Uh, Dr. Kwan, good morning to you. Good morning.
And many thanks uh, for for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, I think you've been involved in uh, a, a statement from some uh, pediatric associations uh, in, in Hong Kong. This is in relation to uh, uh, reports of uh, myocarditis and uh, other uh, adverse reactions to uh, COVID-19 uh, vaccinations, in particular the mRNA uh, vaccinations. We've got an email yeah. on that topic, which we'll get to in, in just a moment. But what, what's the what's the gist of the uh, the statement? What have, what have you found looking at these uh, cases of adverse reaction? This statement we issued last Wednesday actually would like to tell uh, the facts to the population that actually the, this condition uh, is actually very rare, and there's nothing to fear about, and just to just want to the, the population not to fear about the uh, mRNA uh, 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 platform of this vaccine. Uh, okay, and and why not? Uh, what about these cases? Because there have been cases of uh, myocarditis, is that right? And pericarditis and uh, other things. Yeah, these cases actually reported uh, since April uh, this year, mainly from Israel and also from the the states. And uh, this myocarditis uh, and pericarditis condition, which means the inflammation of the heart muscles and also the uh, inflammation of the sac, uh, the surrounding the the outer lining surrounding the heart, what we call the pericarditis, uh, mainly happen in adolescents and also young adults. They mainly happen after the what we call the mRNA uh, COVID vaccination. The mRNA COVID vaccination means the BioNTech or the Moderna. Uh, vaccines in Hong Kong, we only have the BioNTech vaccine, which use this platform. But we find that although reported uh, in overseas country, but uh, so far the reported number still very very low, very very rare conditions. But most importantly, uh, the scientists find that a person indeed uh, there is a casual link of this condition with the mRNA vaccine platform. Just because of this, say, this immunological phenomenon, but most importantly, uh, this condition we observe happen after the second dose, mainly second dose of this uh, mRNA vaccine, and most commonly in young at ad- young adolescents or young adults, uh, most commonly above age 12 and older, and most commonly after the second dose of the vaccine. And around three to four days after the second dose of the vaccine, those people, they complain of a mild chest pain and a chest discomfort or a, uh, a fast or, or irregular uh, heart, heartbeat. And sometimes we feel a shortness of breath. Hmm. But the most important message we, we would like to deliver to the population is that those persons uh, after the uh, mRNA vaccination, please take a rest. Avoid strenuous activity for around one week. Is 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 okay? Yeah. Is the mRNA um, more uh, risky? Are the side effects greater? And especially for young people, uh, is there a greater risk from mRNA than than other vaccines? Because I say this because also there's been concern expressed by uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who was one of those involved in in developing our. our uh, mRNA uh, technology. Uh, he said uh, in interviews that uh, on balance he he probably doesn't favour it for uh, young people because the risk to young people is relatively low. Um, uh, so what would you say and what would you say to people who listen to him? I I, I would say that this is an observation so far and 
the although there's a there's a casual suspected casual link of the mRNA platform uh, to this uh, what we call the uh, myocyte effect, but actually, if 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 uh, I really don't think that the the risk of the infection uh, to the young people is low, I I I really object to this statement because as as a, as a pediatrician. We observe that children also develop complications from the COVID-19 disease. And uh, in the past one and a half years, we observed that children also much affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, for example, in the past uh, 18 months, there's no in-person teaching and all the children in Hong Kong suffer much physically and also in their psychosocial development. We have no in-person training and all the sports ground uh, closed and no extracurricular activity to all the children. And also, also mind you that children also can transmit the virus to the, their family members. And so I, I really object to the statement that children uh, no need for the COVID vaccination. All right. This is, a, this is an email from uh, Mike, uh, who says the man, this is referring to uh, uh, Dr. Malone, the man who invented the mRNA technology used in some coronavirus vaccines says he was censored by YouTube for sharing his concerns on the vaccines in a podcast. Uh, quote, one of my concerns is uh, are that the government is not being transparent with us about what those risks are. And so I'm of the opinion that people have the right to decide whether to accept a vaccine or not, especially since these are experimental vaccines, said Dr. Robert Malone alone uh, risk benefit and mike says risk benefit analysis one of my other objections is that we toss about these words risk benefit analysis casually as if it's a very deep science it's not normally at this stage the cdc would have performed these risk benefit analyses they would be data-based and science-based they're not right now sorry malone said uh, uh, Mike says, Dr. Malone is not anti-vaccine. He's pointing out something obvious. If anyone says anything that goes against the government narrative, MSM and all media outlets censor the content. If those critics of Dr. Malone or anyone that shares his concern have little or no scientific evidence or understanding of the topic, attacks on the messengers or in their eyes dissenters will inevitably follow. Uh, I'm a big boy. Go for it. The day we legitimate dissenters... Uh, we legitimate dissenters are silenced. We will be a sad day indeed, coming sooner than you think. That comes uh, from uh, Mike. Uh, thanks very much indeed uh, for that. And uh, John Kowloon uh, says, as you may be aware, on July the 1st, Thailand introduces the Phuket Sandbox Initiative, uh, whereby fully vaccinated foreigners are allowed to visit the island without having to go any undergo any quarantine. To facilitate this reopening, the Thai government prioritised Phuket for its vaccination programme. This has resulted in 67% of the island's uh, 400,000 population being fully vaccinated, while 84% have had at least their first shot. And while new COVID cases are currently low and appear to be under control, the same cannot be said for the rest of Thailand, which has a fully vaccinated rate of just 4%, where cases have been surging. So here's my question. For its COVID country risk classification, will the Hong Kong government treat Phuket as distinct from the rest of Thailand to reflect the Phuket Sandbox Initiative and resultant lower COVID risk, or will it continue to lump Phuket and Thailand together under a single risk clarification? If it's the latter, then Hong Kong travellers to Phuket could find themselves at risk of longer quarantine on their return to Hong Kong, or at worst a complete ban on returning flights. If the Hong Kong uh, government raises Thailand to a high-risk category if the current jump in nationwide cases continues to escalate. That comes from John Kowloon. Kowloon, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it would be a really good idea to separate Phuket out or other places that are in these little sandboxes or bubbles 
because the risk is very, very different for but someone who's. It, been... Is it, it? But is it isolated in real life? Do you know? Can you go from? Well, because Thai... an island, right, right, right. So it, it, it's certainly for the people who are there. They're supposed to stay in their hotels largely, and uh, and of course the population in Phuket is highly vaccinated. So there's going to be minimal transmission in Phuket. It will not be a hotspot. Um, but that's not to say that there's zero risk. But just it wouldn't be a hotspot. So I, I think it makes but, perfect sense. But can Thai residents get into Phuket easily? Uh, they can, but I don't think it's going to be flooded with unvaccinated Thai residents at this point. I mean, I'd love to, I would love to enjoy that sandbox, frankly. Yep. What, what anything puts me off is the quarantine in Hong Kong when I come back. Well, the possibility they'd be stuck there for a month right, because they'll ban the flights back while you're there. Mm. <laughs> Dr. Kwan, one more thing. You know, in, in Hong Kong, we've, we've, uh, we haven't vaccinated the old people. We're now encouraging the vaccination of young people, but the vaccination rate for, for the elderly is still very low. It's a kind of the opposite to what some other places, their approach has been. Do you think this is the right approach in Hong Kong? And actually, I, I consider the government putting much effort in advocating the vaccination already, but uh, the the population, the public, still need much uh, uh, education regarding the safety and also the importance of this vaccination uh, regarding the uh, public health concern, regarding uh, why we need this uh, vaccine to, for example, just like I mentioned before, in children that we need to for example, we, we need to avoid the half-day school, we need to open up our sports ground, and we, 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 we really need to uh, resume the extracurricular activities for our children. So this is, this, this is uh, what, we, what we are trying hard to do uh, to our general public. Okay, well, Dr. Kwan, many thanks for, for joining us. Uh, Dr. Mike Kwan there, consultant in the Paediatric Infectious Disease Unit at the Princess Margaret Hospital. Many thanks to Professor Mary Louise McLaws, an epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales and advisor to the World Health Organization uh, as well. Uh, some uh, transport news because of an accident, part of the lanes of Tunmun Road towards Tunmun near Chai Wan Kok, still closed to traffic and uh, just one lane open there to motorists and it's a uh, very busy uh, in that area. We're going to be focusing on uh, on uh, Taiwan and we've got a lot of questions about the situation in Hong Kong uh, as well to deal with uh, after the news at nine. Um, keep them coming. Email back, chat at rthk.hk with your thoughts, questions and observations. Also, David Webb joining us to talk about the e-voucher scheme launched yesterday. The weather, a few showers, very hot today, uh, 29 degrees at the moment with a relative humidity now of 89%. I'm in place. The demolition itself is confined to the immediate area around the building. More than 120 people are still unaccounted for. 24 others are known to have died. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Monday morning, first one of the week, with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID-19. We were talking, seeing what's going on uh, in uh, Australia in the first part of the uh, programme. We'll be hearing from uh, a correspondent in Taiwan, or Ross Fine. He's not a correspondent, but anyway, Ross will explain uh, in, <laughs> in, in a few moments' time. We've got a few, quite a lot of comments as well, and questions on the situation uh, in policy uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, with us uh, is uh, 
uh, Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong and in Taiwan. Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group, a travel security consultancy. Uh, once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Later we're going to be talking to David Webb about those uh, e-vouchers. The registration kicked off uh, yesterday. Uh, thoughts on that uh, as well. Uh, observations are welcome. Leslie Ann in an email says, Dear Bank Chat, it's high time the government shows some respect to Hong Kong citizens who have been fully vaccinated and allow quarantine-free travel and mask-free local movement. Otherwise, what is the point of getting vaccinated? Uh, if people don't want to get vaccinated, then it's totally up to them if they want to take the risk of catching COVID and potentially becoming very sick. But it's not fair to hold the rest of the vaccinated community hostage. That's from uh, Leslie Ann. Uh, and Alango says, uh, I see the vaccination and booking trend around 30,000. Does the government need to review the capacity of CVC? I see some centres are fully booked and some are free, busy on Friday and Saturday and free on other days. Do we need to review the capacity and move the available capacity to hot centres and increase the capacity on Friday and Saturday so we can capitalise the momentum to go up the vaccination rate? That's from uh, Elanga. Right. Well, for an update on the situation in Taiwan, we've got Ross Feingeld on the line. Ross, good morning. Good morning. Uh, tell us what's happening. Well, the, the new case count uh, seems to be going down from the height of what we saw in mid to late May. Uh, out of an abundance of caution or perhaps political fear, uh, the government recently extended uh, the measures that are in place, which basically uh, preclude uh, large events or in-person dining, uh, so restaurants are all takeout only. Uh, schools, of course, are closed. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 it can be a bit frustrating because uh, we see the case count has, has really started to drop tremendously, but we're still in this kind of soft lockdown phase. Uh, but but the, something I've observed, and this is purely anecdotal, but I do live in downtown, uh, when the number of cases are announced when the authorities have their daily press conference, you know, when it starts to drop below 100 of new cases, uh, the number of people who are outside just rises tremendously. So uh, most people are still working from home, uh, but when the number of cases drop, uh, they're out. They're shopping because retail stores are still open. And, right. uh, supermarkets have some entry restrictions based on your ID number, odd day, off day, uh, uh, odd even day entry. Uh, but other types of retail stores, uh, clothing stores, uh -huh. for example, uh, they're all open. So uh, again, when the case count drops, a lot more people are outside. So Come out. Oh. I, don't, I would say there isn't a fear of, of catching it so much as there's frustration with uh, the slowness in right. vaccine ah. rollout. What is that? That, like that? that was going to be my next question. What is happening on the vaccination front? Well, the, Japan and the U.S. Uh, made some donations, which frankly provided some political cover to the government because of their inability uh, to uh, acquire vaccines in the marketplace. And uh, I'm sure the listeners are aware of some of the back and forth thing that's been going on with that, where the government here has accused uh, China of interfering in, in Taiwan's acquisition of vaccines, but they've offered no substantive proof of that accusation. Uh, there's been uh, private uh, industry as well as NGOs that have tried to purchase vaccines, but then they, they, they uh, stepped into the morass of bureaucracy. Uh, 
to be fair, of course, uh, it's not normal for companies or NGOs that are not in the everyday business of importing uh, vaccines or pharmaceuticals to suddenly say, let me let me import it. Right. So, you know, the government is going to say, oh, that's a great idea. But, but then they put up a bunch of bureaucratic hurdles. Isn't the issue but ultimately, here? Yeah. But you know, the say that, let me, yeah, I mean, ultimately, though, this comes down to the government here has this great desire to develop a locally made vaccine, which has slowed down their willingness to purchase from overseas. And Foster and Pharmacal, which of course is a mainland company, has the distribution rights of BioNTech for the whole of Greater China. Has that been a problem? Well, that, that's yeah, that's kind of where the the, uh, the issue is, right? So, you know, the government uh, did not want to deal with Foshin. They wanted to deal directly with the manufacturer, and that's not how things work in the commercial space. Uh, and then the narrative changed to, oh, China's interfering. Uh, but then that's also used as a reason to block uh, the NGOs or private industry from purchasing because they would still have to deal with, with Foshin and, and the government saying, uh, don't deal with Foshin. Uh, although we welcome you to go buy, buy vaccines uh, and help, help society by doing that. Uh, right. So we seem to be caught in that. And then again, in the meantime, the government seems to be uh, clasping its hands in prayer that the locally made vaccines will be able to come to market soon. But Because there was some talk in the media that um, Fosun could be quietly bought off not to complain if, if Taiwan or someone in Taiwan or acting on Taiwan's behalf could, could buy, was, would be allowed to buy the BioNTech directly. I, I think that's highly likely at this point, and, and behind the scenes right now, there's probably a lot of conversation about that. So between the, the companies or the NGOs here in Taiwan that wanted to, to purchase uh, the government here, the manufacturer, and then, of course, Bozin. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that going on right now. Uh, but again, it's, it, it's like this game of chicken because uh, you know the U.S. or Japan might donate more and the locally made vaccine might be able, might be ready might be uh, you know approved for use uh, and then that whole issue is going to go away which would save the government a lot of face and uh, frankly a lot of right. time. I suppose Sinovac and Sinopharm are out of the question. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, I don't think there's a public interest here. I mean if, if people need to uh, do business in China. I mean, there's still flights, and uh, you know, the media's reported on several tens of thousands of people from Taiwan who have been inoculated in China. But uh, so if people really, really need to do it or get it, they'll they'll get it. But uh, I don't think there's a large demand here where people are saying, "Yeah, approve that one for import." Uh, and then, of course, the government cites a whole bunch of laws and regulations to say why it's impossible anyway. Okay. Some more uh, emails. Uh, Alan says, Backchat, again, you give airtime to anti-vax conspiracy theories. Uh, this is in relation to Mike. Blocked by YouTube. They don't want us to know the truth. From Mike, he's dangerous. The more publicity given this brand of lunacy is why we will never get enough of people vaccinated. His ilk in the US have convinced at least 20% of the population that vaccines are a plot to pollute their precious bodily fluids. Uh, and... Um, Let's see. Mr. Tang says, I got my two BioNTech uh, jabs at Yao Oi Sports Centre. The government's COVID-19 booking system was easy to use at the vaccination venue. Clear, frequent signs were displayed to give vaccine takers directions. Helpers stationed at the venue also did an exemplary job of briefing citizens on the vaccination procedure involved and ensuring social distancing rules were being observed. Once I entered the waiting area, a helper asked me a host of preliminary health questions to confirm I was physically fit enough to get a jab. I was then further escorted to one of the vaccination 
examination booths where a medical staff member would administer the jab for me. On both occasions, the medical staff carefully inquired about my physical status before inoculating me to ensure safety. I then moved to the rest area where I spent 15 minutes literally sitting idly by, which was necessary lest I would feel unwell. Without incident, I left the venue with a packet of free face masks offered by the government with the words, together we fight the virus, emblazed on the packaging. On the day after I got my first jab, I felt pain in my arm and a sense of exhaustion, but no other symptoms, whereas I had a slight fever after receiving my second dose of vaccine. The side effects I experienced usually subsided a day or two later. My line of work, that's its teaching, involves uh, interaction with a lot of people, so I decided to get inoculated early. With the Delta variant raging in other regions, those who are physically fit enough should get vaccinated as soon as possible on grounds of personal health benefits, public health and potential to, to restore normalcy to life. That's from Mr Tang. Thanks very much indeed for that. Backchat at rthk.hk. We've got a caller, I think, on the line now. Jim. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Hong Kong. Uh, I have a, about three points that I'd like to ask, and then maybe I can take my answers off air. I, I'm sorry, what do you mean, take your answers off air? Well, I, I don't need to maybe discuss anything with some of your advisors, but they could give me the answers to my questions. Maybe. We'll just have the questions. Okay, okay. Well, let's, yeah. let's move forward. Yeah. Um, number one is in uh, December 2020, before I went to America, I, I visited a traditional Chinese medicine facility at the Prince of Wales Hospital, and I got some medication, uh, tea or medication, whatever they called it, um, to sort of boost my uh, um, immune system, you know, to help my immune system. So I, I drank that tea while I was in the States and so forth. While I was in the States in, in uh, uh, January of 2020, I went to my... Um, medical uh, hospital and I got inoculated for shingles. They didn't have uh, COVID inoculations available yet, but I took the shingles. Um, before I came back to Hong Kong, I was uh, tested 10 times <laughs> for COVID and I was not, uh, all tests were negative. Uh, this time when I went to the States, I had my two inoculations in, uh, in May, May of 2021. And when I just returned from uh, the U.S., I was uh, quarantined for 14 days, and uh, I had five, five COVID tests during this procedure of returning to Hong Kong. My point is, Hong Kong is asking people to get inoculated, but they treat me as though I'm still uh, highly infected, and they have the report that I've been inoculated. I've been tested many times. I was tested by their lab. Yet they put me on the floor with three week quarantine people who may or may not be uh, inoculated or sick. Why not put me on the floor with the two week people that you know have been inoculated and are less uh, liable to spread the virus? But still, they treat me like, oh, you're, you're just come from America. I should hear, here's my record. Oh, but you, you come from America, so you have to do all this stuff. Uh, when are they going to wake up and stop? telling you, oh, we're going to give you some perks if you get inoculated, and then lie about it and say, well, uh, maybe there's something else that we have to watch for, or maybe this happened in Australia, or maybe this happened in the UK. Now, I don't really care what happens in Taiwan, but I want to go to China. I want to go to Hangzhou. But I don't know from listening to these people, these experts, whether I can travel to China or not after I've been quarantined, inoculated, and I'm a Hong Kong PR. That's one of the questions. Why not? Why not 
Okay, Professor Cowling, any reaction? Yeah, I, I've said before on, on this show that I think fully vaccinated people who arrive in Hong Kong shouldn't you be subject think, to the doctor, same... But I'm asking, why doesn't somebody in position in the Hong Kong government say, you coming from a place where you've been doubly, I mean, double inoculation, can go in a two-week quarantine, but you're on a different floor. This The government can do this when you come in. Whether they should or shouldn't matter what you think, I'm talking about what the Hong Kong Center for Disease Protection is doing. When I come in, they treat me as though I'm still a risk. Okay. What, what were your other questions? Oh, okay. Jim, um, briefly. Yeah. Now, the, the other one was, what, why can't I get information about, can I travel to China once I've been inoculated, quarantined, and I'm a PR resident here in Hong Kong? I don't know. I can't hear. I can hear what's going on in Taiwan or what's going on in Australia. But I never heard anybody say that uh, if you've been inoculated, you can travel to China. You can't. If you come back, no, you, you can't. come back to China. Okay. You, ca- you can't. No, but, no, I, oh, but but I, I think, Jim. Question, please. Can I finish my question? Okay, when yeah, I, I was going to give you the answer, but I, yeah, carry on. If I go to China and I am uh, 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 travel there and have a vacation, when I come back to Hong Kong, do I then again have to quarantine? That's another question. Well, I think the first answer is you can't go. Right now. Okay, that's fine. That's so right. the second question is a bit academic. Is this my graph? Yes, it is. If you okay. were allowed to go to China, if you were a Chinese passport holder, Chinese uh, resident, and you were allowed to go into China, you'd still have to do the quarantine on arrival in Hangzhou. But there's a special no, okay, scheme a for resident, Hong Kong for, for people to come back into Hong Kong. I'm a resident to China. I'm not asking that. I'm a PR resident yeah. in Hong Kong. So, so, Hong, so that, uh, that China's that still got a ban on visitors. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say, Jim, was that this is this is. This is decided by China, not by Hong Kong. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not asking who's deciding. I just want to know the information. Okay. So well, now you, I know you, I cannot go. You can't go. You'll have to stay here okay, and, and listen fine. to that's us. Fine. That's fine. That's fine. I didn't know that in the past. Okay. I didn't know that in the past. Now, my first question is, why do they treat me as though I'm still a threat? Why don't they, why don't they consider double vaccinated people, travelers returning to Hong Kong, be put on a different floor in their quarantine hotel so that they're not put at risk of those people mm. on a three-week that's never been quarantined or maybe never even been tested uh, except at the airport in Chapman Why don't they do, why don't they do okay. something to show that they're really concerned? All right, Jim. Just... All right. Many, many thanks for your call. Our number is okay, 233. Okay. Thanks right. a lot. Thank you. Once again, a uh, couple of comments from Jay uh, in emails. He says, so after going for my vaccination, which the doctor says is up to you, nobody flashed my records up on the computer. Nobody told me any way to deal with the side effects. Although the printed sheet did have a whole list of side effects. Not much on how to deal with this, which at present is very uh, annoying. Uh, and Jay also says, you don't seem to be giving much information on uh, COVID for the Philippines. Uh, do we have aeroplanes flying here now? Uh, that's from uh, Jay. Uh, I don't know much about the Philippines. Later in the week, if we could uh, we could catch up with uh, with with what's happening there. Um, uh, Ross Feingold. Um, I mean, some places, you know, Singapore and Australia um, have have sort of talked about moving from how do they put it from pandemic to endemic to uh, approaching a situation where you've just got to kind of live with you you increase the vaccination rate and then basically you live with uh, with COVID. You don't expect zero COVID. Um, uh, cases uh, going forward. Um, has that been sort of explored in Taiwan? What's the situation there? Yeah, they're, they're being extremely conservative. So, mm. you know, as I was um, 
discussing earlier that even though the number of cases uh, seems to be dropping uh, quite rapidly, the number of new cases, the authorities continue to maintain the state of uh, soft lockdown, uh, at least until the middle of July. And uh, at least the, the public's expectation is it's going to be extended throughout the summer, perhaps until uh, the school year begins. Uh, you know, similar to the caller's question, you know, people who've been inoculated overseas still have to quarantine here. And in fact, they're, they're switching from home quarantine to uh, quarantine hotels here as well uh, for people returning from overseas. Uh, so we see governments in, in many places that even though they may have talked about uh, switching, uh, but it's just talk right now. And then there's things like the Delta variant uh, or an increase in cases, right? We see Australia suddenly reducing the number of people who could enter, even though we generally think of this as a place where, um, notwithstanding the case count, but the, the, the monitoring and other measures that they have in place are very strong. And then uh, we have this issue of reciprocity as well, where uh, reasonably, you know, the public in one country uh, might, might say, well, well, we shouldn't let in those people from the other country if they're not letting us travel to that country, um, even though uh, there might be a desire by a government to uh, relax entry measures, but absent reciprocity, there'd be a political blowback to that. Uh, so as much as the, the medicine and the science might augur for relaxation, we still see some other issues that come up as well. Right. Uh, and thanks, Dan. Dan actually put on our Facebook page a link to a, a story from the Straits Times uh, with exactly this kind of uh, a journey towards living with COVID-19, as it's put it, uh, uh, explored. So um, many thanks to Dan. And many thanks to our guest this morning, to uh, once again, to Professor Benjamin Cowling. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group, a travel security consultancy. Thank you uh, very much indeed for joining us once again. Uh, this morning. An email from Bowen. Bowen says, uh, a, this is on the continuing saga of the MPF and BNO passports. AIA is reportedly asking for proof of permission to reside permanently for an indefinite period outside Hong Kong for an applicant for early withdrawal of MPF benefits and HSBC signalling to similar applicants with BNO visas that their applications may succeed when they get full British passports, apparently deviate from the standard documents required from the MPFA itself. The MPF PFA only requires proof of the right to reside, not reside permanently outside Hong Kong. The logic and chief aim of the MPFA statements on the 10th of March also appears to be a mystery, because although the government has announced the non-recognition of BNO passports as proof of identity, identity can be proved, as the MPFA website says, by a person's Hong Kong ID card. Permission to reside in the UK can obviously be established by evidence other than the passport and the visa, tax returns, official health documents and employment contracts being clear examples. But the height of perplexity was scaled by none other than the MPFA's own instruction, the 10th of March statements to its trustees, in which it asked them to review, quote, all evidence provided by applicants and the totality of facts and information, unquote, when processing the said type of applications. Unless the MPFA is communicating in coded language or by subliminal suggestions here, why have respectable financial institutions like banks and insurance companies reportedly take that statement as a reason for refusing to accept not only BNO visas, but also other official documentation produced by applicants, such as letters and documents from UK immigration and biometric residence permits to prove residence. What can the phrase, quote, all evidence provided by applicants and totality of facts and information mean? Or maybe I should ask, not mean. That comes from 
Bowen. Finally today, as mentioned, we wanted to turn to the uh, consumption voucher scheme. Uh, uh, by early uh, yesterday evening, more than one and a half million people uh, had registered uh, for the uh, scheme, but there were some overloading problems on the on uh, one of the the uh, secure government app. Uh, I am uh, smart. Uh, the public has until the seventeenth to sign up electronically, and until August the fourteenth, using a paper form. Joining us uh, on the uh, line now for comment is uh, David Webb, founder and uh, editor of uh, Website.com. Uh, Mr. Webb, good morning to you. Morning, you. Thanks for for joining us uh, once again. Uh, so one and a half million—that's an enormous number, isn't it? Uh, in a, in a day, uh, does that mean it's a success? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that nearly everybody who is entitled to it will take it. Uh, it's it's free money from the government. Uh, it, it's an incredibly wasteful scheme in terms of the prudent use of public resources. Um, but it is part of the government's overall approach these days of tax and spend. Uh, in the same budget that they announced this uh, $36 billion scheme, uh, they announced that they would increase the rates of tax by, on, on uh, new vehicles by 30% and the rate of stamp duty by 30%. So it's classic tax and spend and uh, very misguided. Uh, it won't do very much for um, overall expenditure because you can use your octopus card. So right. uh, most, most people will just uh, substitute uh, the voucher for cash that they would have spent anyway and then use that cash either to save or invest in the stock market or, or something so, else. So the economic boost effect... By, in your assessment, is going to be pretty Minimal. modest. Minimal, maybe you know, point one of point one times, three point six billion rather than thirty six billion. Uh, and of course, that's mostly spent if it's on consumption. A lot of it is on imported goods anyway, so the money goes out of the uh, out of the territory, well, that, uh, apart from the uh, profit margin of the retailers. That's right. I mean, if if, if as it happens, I go to the supermarket every week. Um, you, you would struggle not to spend a thousand dollars a month on groceries yes. uh, in Hong Kong, and so what you'll do is load up your octopus with the voucher and carry on as you were, and it just means that you won't uh, need to put as much cash in the t in the tills. Um, but but it, but a it will get spent, and b it will get spent uh, in Hong Kong when you just simply give out cash. You, um, it could be saved. Uh, it could be used to buy stuff this. from Amazon. Essentially, essentially, so can this because the cash that one saves by using the octopus voucher for groceries, you could then go online and buy something from Amazon um, that you, you were desiring. So, so it doesn't. Whether you do it by so-called vouchers or, or by cash handouts, it's still quite wasteful. And right. the government, the government um, under the cover of uh, COVID, has been very wasteful with our resources. Uh, they, they spent over ninety billion dollars on the so-called uh, employment support scheme, um, which. Uh, 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 was only payable to employers if they kept people in work, uh, but 90% of people stayed in work anyway and, and would have done without um, this scheme, or very close to 90%. Um, How do you know that? How do you know that? Well, because, because you look at the unemployment rates in other countries which adopted a furlough scheme, and, and that would have been a better way to do it, to pay people who were actually out of work because of COVID. For example, restaurants being forced to close or bars or massage parlours or uh, karaoke rooms and so on. If you call the people who had employment before, if you had paid them instead um, uh, a compensation for forced loss of work because it was by government order that these places were closed, um, that would have been a much more affordable scheme. But if you add up the uh, ESS, um, also the $10,000 handout, and now the $5,000 handout, that's about $200 billion, um, which is 
about 20% of Hong Kong's previous um, fiscal reserves uh, gone. Uh, and so you can only do that a few times before you run out of money. So um, your, your point, David, is that the vouchers are not going to lead to additional expenditure. They're going to displace expenditure that would have happened anyway. And right. So yes. it's putting thousand dollars. There's, there's nothing, nothing in return. They could have said you could only have the voucher if you are either double vaccinated or can prove medically that you that you're not suitable for vaccination. Right. Uh, you know that would have been a, a way to incentivise vaccination, um, other than adopting a, a vaccine lottery like I proposed in April, where they could do a, 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 a you know a big draw every week for the new round of vaccinated people. Um, uh, but instead, uh, none of it is, is linked to the objective of getting out of the uh, current uh, restrictions. Um, and going back to your early, earlier segment, uh, since there's no other incentive like uh, quarantine-free travel, um, they're not using either financial or um, policy uh, means to incentivize the vaccinations. And your uh, comment on the employment support scheme was that I think the money went to the companies... To keep right, the so people. So, yeah. so some of the biggest uh, um, um, uh, recipients um, of the ESS were supermarket chains, for example, uh, which, of course, have thrived during the pandemic uh, because more people were eating at home, not going out because restaurants were closed. At one point, they were closed all day, briefly, and then they were closed um, after 6 p.m. Um, and uh, so um, if, if you go to website.com and look at the uh, tabulation of these um, uh, payments, uh, which I, I put up a few months ago, uh, and we've, we've listed the top 5,000 recipients, but you can actually search all of them. Um, the, the, the top one was uh, Dairy Farm Company, which um, runs uh, Welcome and Mannings and other um, big chain stores. And the second one was Kowloon Motorbus, um, and the third one was Maxim's Caterers, uh, which um, is a restaurant company and probably would have had some uh, impact, but the money, um, you know, uh, was was very uh, scattergunned in, his, uh, uh, in, in terms of where the government uh, spent the money it could have spent to compensate people for the interventions they've employed right. against COVID. This doesn't seem a very prudent way of handling public finances. No, and that's the problem. We're, we're moving more and more towards tax and spend. Uh, another example would be the, the government has a, a, a small but irritating scheme to pay um, subsidised um, property tycoons who want to create real estate investment trusts. Uh, so they will pay uh, um, a certain amount of their costs if they want to, to, to list a REIT on the stock exchange. Well, why on earth are we doing that? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and similarly, the government became, uh, um, Carrie Lam became broadcaster-in-chief when she, she decided the government would buy the Olympic rights rather than letting the free market decide uh, wh whether it was worth uh, screening and how much they would pay. Uh, for the Olympic uh, broadcasting rights. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, the, the, the end result of all this, eventually we will run down our reserves, um, and then um, uh, what would happen is with an increasing proportion of GDP being spent by the government, we'd have to start talking about raising tax rates. And even then, some of our um, um, tax base, the profits that we tax on uh, imports, sorry, on, on on products that are imported and then exported from the mainland because there's transfer pricing going on. Some of those would just disappear at some point because if if the tax rate is almost the same in the mainland, then you'll pay your tax there instead of bothering to 
mark things up through Hong Kong. Um, one of the sort of secondary uh, goals, I think more or less explicitly uh, stated uh, for the administration, was to encourage the use of uh, electronic uh, payment uh, in Hong Kong. We're often sort of uh, compared with uh, 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 how advanced uh, supposedly things are in the mainland. You know, you can, you can use the octopus, you can use tap and go, WeChat Pay and, and Alipay. Uh, yeah. And I think the government has sort of semi-officially or whatever said that, you know, they want to encourage that. Uh, what, what do you think of that as a, as, a, as a strategy? Well, it was gradually happening anyway. I'm not sure that the government should step in and, uh, and use public money to uh, favour that uh, over, over other payment means. Um, but uh, that is what they're doing, and it's created a bit of a, you know... Does it, I think the, the argument is that, it's, that it streamlines the economy uh, it's, if, you, if you make payment easier like that. Is that do you see that? Well, uh, market efficiencies just drive people in that direction anyway, but if you use government money to do it, then you're distorting the system and favouring that means of payment, and these, they're not completely free. They, they, uh, the, the merchants have to pay some fees to the... Uh, typically, to to payment service providers, or they take a commission, or they take or they take interest off of the float, and so on. Um, but um, of course, um, you, you already could spend electronically uh, using credit cards and debit cards in, in um, uh, most retailers in Hong Kong, not perhaps the wet markets, uh, but that's only a small section uh, of um, retailing. And uh, you think back over your recent expenditure, you probably think, well, just about everything you've bought in um, chain stores of any kind, you probably have used credit cards and, and not, not much cash already. So, so but the government has is, is been uh, favouring so-called stored payment providers, not, not actually uh, credit cards, but these um, apps that can, can store up to uh, uh, 3000 or $5,000 and then, and then pay with those. Uh, and so, as a result, they've been in a bit of a bonfight uh, over incentives to um, get new customers mm. on board for the uh, for the vouchers um, and topping up the vouchers a bit. Mm. Well, David, many many thanks for uh, joining us once again. Founder, editor of uh, website dot com, shareholder activist. Thank you very much indeed, uh, uh, Mike. Many thanks to you. Oh, another tough one. I mean, I just worry about the vaccination rate, really, for the whole community. So. Mm. Okay. The weather, a few showers around today, very hot. Temperatures up to about uh, uh, 33 degrees today. And the outlook, more showers around tomorrow. And on Wednesday, the weather improving gradually later in the week. 29 Celsius at the moment. And the relative humidity is up at 86%. The Census and Statistics Department is conducting the population census. From June 23rd, all households will receive a notification letter. You can call 182021 for an interview or complete the questionnaire online before July 18th. Households that have received a paper questionnaire may also return it to the department by post. All data will be kept in strict confidence. Online census. Convenient, secure and green. 934, the news now with Samantha Butler. The government's latest pandemic handout has proven popular with more than one and a half million people signing up for $5,000 worth of electronic consumption vouchers when it opened yesterday. The scheme is expected to cost the government around $36 billion and benefit about 7.2 million people. A financial analyst